Welcome to Servus Scale-Up, produced by La French Tech Munich. With this podcast, we want to inspire entrepreneurs to launch and internationalize the startup in France or Germany, especially in Bavaria. Each episode focuses on a challenge in the startup ecosystem that we will review through the eyes of two guests, the startup and the expert perspective. By sharing their respective experience and expertise, our aim is to give you concrete solutions you can apply to take the leap of expanding your startup abroad. We hope you'll enjoy it, and as we say here in Bavaria, Los Gates! Hello everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of Service Scale-Up, the podcast of La French Tech Munich. Today, I'm super excited uh, to discuss one of the hot topics that we have for this year, 2022, how to create European champion and what are the roles um, that France and Germany can play in this context. Actually, this theme is a very recurring one this year, especially given the very strong political European agenda. First, you have the Scale Up Europe program. This program has the ambition to make Europe a digital powerhouse. What actually does that mean? Basically, they want to make Europe home to 10 technology companies, each valued at more than 100 billion euro by 2030. You know, 100 billion euro. That's the well-known hectacorn. But on top, by 2025, Europe should be home to 25% of the world's unicorn. So let's see how France and Germany can play a big role in this. But this is not it. Actually, this also coincides with the rotating French presidency of the Council of the European Union, which started this year in January for the first time in 14 years. So on the agenda here, you also have digital transformation alongside reconciling climate ambition and economic development and also defending Europe's social model. So with this context, France and Germany have a great ambition to play and to stay also at the forefront of innovation and to create European champion. So that's what we want to talk about today. What's on the agenda for our podcast? We will touch upon an internationalization roadmap in Europe and the role of public and private partnership. We will also talk about the role of trust when you establish in a new country uh, and to develop uh, customer traction and best practice in terms of business development. And finally, the role of funding and especially growth funding in Europe to create these scalable businesses. And to get this best insights today, I have the pleasure to welcome my two brilliant guests. First, Torben Rabe, Country Director of Germany for Conto, and Martin Gramling, Head of Tech Department at Business France Germany. So welcome. Happy to have you here for this 30, 40 minutes podcast. And maybe let's start with a quick round of intro uh, with you, Torben. Tell us a little bit the story of Quanto in Germany. How did it start? Where are you at now? And actually, would you consider yourself or Quanto a French or a European company? Thank you for the introduction, Sabine. Uh, indeed, uh, the journey of Quanto so far in Europe has been a European uh, journey and not a not a French journey. So uh, Conto started in France, where our two co-founders Alex and Steve had the vision to energize all European businesses and make finance management easier. Uh, 
We offer not just a business bank account, but all finance aspects that help business owners and founders focus on what matters, creating value for their customers. Um, so that in itself is not a French pain point, but it's a, it's a European one. We have over 220,000 customers in four countries, uh, in France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And we have raised over 622 million euros in funding uh, over the last years. Uh, to answer your question, we're definitely a European company. Uh, since the beginning, the idea was to launch all over Europe and start with the biggest markets because the pain point uh, we're tackling indeed is a European one. And all 25 million businesses in Europe are experiencing problems with their finance management and are losing time, focus and energy with traditional banks, with admin tasks, and so on. We even started uh, with a .eu domain back in the day. Um, also, our name, Conto, um, is is close uh, and is inspired by the Esperanto language. Kind of, uh, um, and it's also we looked at okay, how does it sound in the different languages, and can it be a European brand that we want to want to move forward. And actually, we have an international team as well, not just European, but at the at the moment, we're over 40 nationalities. In Germany, uh, we launched at the beginning of 2020. In France, we officially launched at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017. So a little bit over three years after, after we uh, launched our first product. And since then, I've seen tremendous growth. Uh, Germany was actually our fastest growing market uh, for Conto in 2021. We started out with a small team from Paris, and maybe we can talk later a little bit more about how we approach this go-to-market, but we opened our office then in 2021, and the journey has been a journey of localization, of building trust uh, in the German market, of making sure to have the right partners, to have the right integrations, um, and to really make sure that German customers love our product. Um, at the moment, we're at 25 employees. We're aiming to have more than 100 um, in the next two years. And uh, we really, really want to bring forward for this journey. This yeah. is really cool. And um, having a European uh, ambition from, from the beginning is what characterizes uh, Quanto. So I think putting the vision uh, up front uh, is helping you in, uh, in executing that vision. With us today, we also have uh, Martin, um, whom you know actually, Torben, because um, Martin at Business France in Germany helped you also establish the presence here in the country. So, Martin, can you tell us a little bit how did you meet with uh, with Torben and, and how did the relationship with, uh, with Quanto started at, uh, at Business France? So, first of all, hi, Sabine. Hi, Torben. And maybe before jumping in, Torben, you, as we are going to talk about localization, versus European strategy, I think you shared already two important outputs, uh, thinking about an EU domain, plus thinking about a name, which has a sense for many European countries, but we're going to come to that later. Um, so yeah, thanks. first of all, thanks for having me on this podcast. And uh, I think, Torben, we met in 2021, as you started your mission as country manager in Germany. And before that, if I remember correctly, I met uh, the then um, communication manager for Conto in Germany at Station F in 2020. And that's how the journey 
between Conto and Business France began. And as far as business is concerned, Torben and uh, our team at Business France Germany, we we worked on several occasions together. Um, the first one being uh, the PropTech Days 2021, uh, as Conto was sponsor of the event. So thank you again for that, Torben. And we also worked with you guys from French Tech Munich on the occasion. And on that occasion, we helped uh, Torben test the PropTech segment, uh, which is gaining attention in Germany on the occasion of Expo Real. And also, uh, Conto agreed to share uh, feedback, knowledge, and um, about efficient content marketing in Germany with our delegations from Impact Germany last year, so our acceleration program. And uh, yeah, I would say, Tabana, we have frequent exchanges since then. Uh, exactly, Martin. Um, so really, really happy to work together. So um, we are in contact with Business France uh, as well as La French Tech in our different markets, and usually the support is uh, a lot. Was a lot at the beginning also on launching our offices, launching having the launch event, but also when it comes to certain regulatory questions as well, where. Uh, we're not sure or where we want to establish relationships with certain people. It can be very useful, especially at the beginning, to get a foot in the door. So that's uh, very valuable. So basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Business France is, he is here to, to help with um, specific questions on, on how the German market works. So not only on just purely business development, but also administration, legal, notarization, um, all to finding maybe a, an office or where to actually locate your business between, you know, Dusseldorf, Berlin, Munich. Um, how do you actually work together? Do you um, have um, jour fixes? Do you organize events together? Do you open contacts? Um, how does a startup, like what can, can a startup expect when um, uh, she or he uh, reach out to business house? For, so maybe legal aspect would be a little bit too far, but as you said, we can help about the location or where would be a good idea according to the, the, the activity of the startup of where to launch uh, its office. Basically, we give basic information about the German market, cultural differences. Uh, we launched in the midst of the COVID pandemic, we launched a, a free uh, database, which is called Mes Informations Marché, My Market Information, where startups can global-wide uh, get information about trends and development. We help startups. Uh, well, we have 60, 65 offices all around the world. We can help them getting in touch with contacts, whether on fairs, on during individual campaigns. Uh, Torben, you mentioned a lot about the, the first phases. I know that you work with a, a PR agency now, but we can help like the transitory phase when startups and scale-ups don't have in-house um, marketing managers or marketing employees that don't speak German, we can help them adapt their website or their content to the German market, uh, whether it be through traditional papers or online. And maybe we are also going to talk about that later, but, could, but we can also help uh, scale-ups intensify their teams worldwide thanks to the VIE, so the which can be compared to a graduate program and which is really important and not that often well known. You can hire uh, European talent through the VIE to create European champions. So it's not restricted to French citizens. You can employ Austrian, Spanish, Italian, whatever you want uh, to create European champions thanks to European talent. 
Did you use that service, um, Forburn? Like, um, did you actually started the office in Berlin with with uh, VIE? Is that type of what we would also commonly use as an uh, like interns? So we started the German market without having a proper office uh, at the at the beginning. So we, as I, as I mentioned before, we started with a small team from the Paris office and then slowly progressed uh, over time. Uh, and we did, in fact, uh, work work together with Business France to to establish, okay, what what do we need uh, and which which city should we go to? Uh, at at the end of the day, it was uh, quite clear for us, um, given given the environment that we're in in fintech, and uh, given given the ambitions that we have, that we at least want to start in Berlin and uh, to build our presence there. And then it was more of a question on. Okay, how can we connect to the ecosystem there? Uh, what do we need? Um, the interesting question in our um, case is also we have customers that are traditional companies, but also startups, freelancers. So the mix of customers is also very interesting with um, uh, with Business France, for example, to establish also relationships with more traditional companies and to understand that difference between the countries. But I've, I've also... Kind of came across the, these challenges uh, for new startups establishing a, a presence in a country that you know the first customers are always the hard thing to get right or to acquire. Um, I mean, you coming from France, you have a very strong track record with French customers. Does that talk to actually you know German customers? Do they actually see this as as a good? Um, credible um, testimonials, or do you really need to start from scratch? It's, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. I think trust is really the key of what you need to do, especially in Germany. Never underestimate the role of trust uh, in in Germany. I think it's important in every country, but especially in Germany, uh, when you, it depends on the sector. But usually, what I see when I compare it to our other markets is that <clears throat> German customers take a little bit longer to trust you, but when they trust you, they are more loyal. Uh, so this initial threshold, you need to somehow cross. And it can be, it can help that if you have bigger or more uh, known customers from your home market, it can be from France, but it can also be from other markets, um, that can help. But I think ultimately you also need a specific German, uh, German customers to gain the credibility. So how do you get these? Because it's always, you know, it's the chicken and egg problem, right? Exactly. It's the chicken and egg problem. So the um, the way we approach this is we launched in Germany with an MVP product uh, with a minimum viable product in that sense. So it was, of course, uh, compliant with lo local regulations and so on. It had some, some uh, many things that were interesting to German customers. But our very first customers in Germany, we're actually usually French-German uh, brands that are both known in the French market and in the German market, um, plus combined with early adopters in Germany that were just open for a different solution. Uh, in our case, it was really the ability to open a business bank account in 10 minutes, uh, which was really the argument here. So a lot of a lot of customers didn't really care where you where you come from, as long as you can deliver on what you what you were promising. Um, so the customers did not have to switch from a German to a French player or they didn't they didn't have a 
the feeling that they were speaking to that. But what you need to do in that sense is really to adapt the way you talk to the customer. And that needs to be very clear early on. So you need to be very clear if you're an online product or service, everything needs to be translated in a very natural way. Um, customer service, for example, also needs to be very professional, needs to be localized before um, this uh, this can happen. So it's not just about reaching your first customers. It's also what comes after that, because your first customers are usually also the ones that promote you afterwards and become your first testimonial yeah exactly so the trust is really key and bridging that trust is also important and it can be through partnerships for example as well uh, with other startups or with other known brands so in our case we work with raisin and sum up and we started strong ties in germany because they also have quite a strong brand in germany and they were willing to partner with us and that really helped us in germany at the end so you're basically leveraging also the credibility or the reputation of um, very strong German um, brands that evolve and operate in the, in the same ecosystem that you can really um, uh, help grow as well. Actually, it's a win-win situation for them as well. Um, but in, in, in that case, like, would you say that um, there were low barrier to entry for German customers to actually kind of become your customers because there was not a strong German competitor? Or did you create a new market that didn't exist before? There was a market for it already. Um, and that's also interestingly the difference for Conto in the different European markets. So we have some of our markets which are greenfield uh, when we launched and where we had no competition, but you might have more market development to do and um, kind of need to need to understand what the customers really in that market want. In Germany, that was not the case. So you had already existing players in the market um, that um, offered something like that, um, that started afterwards after uh, Conto, but they started in the respective market in Germany. And um, so the challenge here was not, to convince companies that this is a product and service that they could use that's worth doing but then it becomes a question of how do you compare and how do you differentiate i guess did it help actually that you were coming from a, a french brand with some um french culture uh, in in your ecosystem that's uh, a good question i mean i would guess if you are a food tech i mean this is just a pure assumption but if you're a food tech Coming from France probably helps. If you are in the mobility sector, coming from Germany probably helps. So you have kind of this culture bias a little bit. Does does did that actually have an impact, or do you think it didn't uh, matter for your customers? I think stepping back, um, the problems that we are trying to solve are European or even even international. So I think the basic product and what we're doing works really well in all European markets. And that, of course, helped. And our understanding was also, okay, we launched Germany, France, and Spain, uh, Germany, Italy, and Spain, um, because our understanding was that the requirements are relatively similar. Obviously, there's differences, and you need to address them. But overall, it's somewhat homogenous. Um, that was the basic understanding. And then whether... Being French uh, helped. So 
I think it helped to a certain extent to have the fresh eyes on the market and to not be biased by existing solutions because obviously there was still a gap in the market and that we could do. And um, I can also I can also see things that we're moving forward um, because of the needs um, that we see in other markets. So there's a if you will a cross pollination of ideas. So we see something in Spain or in Italy uh, that's not the case in Germany yet, uh, and we're developing it, and it can also be helpful for the German market. Mm-hmm. So you build you build from other countries mm-hmm. and the learnings that you have across Spain, Italy. Um, you might also apply them in, in Germany. So, yeah, maybe um, our audience doesn't know, but you basically built and, and started um, launching in Spain, Italy, and Germany at the same time. Um, how did you, you know, we always say you need to create your blueprint, kind of your proof of evidence that this solution is working in France, and then kind of copy-paste it. Was that the case? I mean, we kind of mentioned a little bit that you need to adapt to your customers, etc. But, you know, if you look at the blueprint of Conto in France, if you have any anecdotes of what you had to change or what you had to copy um, from the French market versus the German or the um, Spanish or the Italian market, and and maybe also, Martin, your, um, um, your experience with other startups, how much is actually fully mirroring what has been happening in, in the home country versus adapting to the cultural, local um, challenges. Maybe first off to react to what Torben has said over the last few minutes. Um, I don't know if your counterparts in other, country, in other countries, Torben, have been that dynamic in order to get visibility in top quality economic papers. I've seen that you had an article in Handelsblatt, Uh, you also had uh, an article on Deutsche Startup, which are really good for visibility. I don't know if Conto also did that in other country and in other countries. And I know that's really important to get visibility and trust in Germany to get awareness. Um, but maybe something that's common to all European countries, um, it's the fact to not rely only on CAC 40 references, as I would say, because many times we have Uh, French startups typically working with Société Générale, uh, Accor, uh, BNP Paribas, and say, oh, look, I've got these big names on my website, these big French names on my website. Can I go to Germany? And they don't have a website in German. They have a website in French and in English. But as Torben said, and I fully agree with him, uh, for a German counterpart or map partner that's going to really speak up words when you have partners such as SumUp or Raising for the German market, or if you're already able to, I don't know, for the Spanish market, if you're already uh, able to work, to work with um, Casa, Casa de Inglés, I think that's the name, the retailer in Spain, uh, Corte Inglés, remember now. Um, that's going to speak so much better instead of just relying on your French-speaking references to show that, okay, well, I'm coming to Italy, I'm coming to Spain, I'm coming to Germany with not only French references, but a little bit of Belgian references, a little bit of German ones, Swiss one. I think it's really something that French startups have to show and put forward when they want to go global and, first of all, throughout Europe. I would say it really depends on the product and services you're offering. So uh, depending on what you do, 
um, it needs to be more or less localized, I would say. Um, there are certain aspects that you always need to localize, but when it comes to product, you might not. If I look at French and German startups, for example, if you look at PayFit, for example, they do payroll and it's very different between the countries. So they actually have a very different product between the different markets. Uh, whereas for us, it's not entirely the case. So from our the way we look at it in terms of localization, uh, you need to localize on all fronts, but there's certain things that you need to prioritize. So there is the compliance aspect, which of course you need um, in our context to be fully, fully localized and you need to um, be proactive with the local compliance. That's the condition without nothing else. So you, that's the first thing you need to do. Yeah. Then it's uh, the points, basically, you can think about it as the points of context that you have with the customer. So what are what are the points where you have contact with a customer or a potential customer? So it can be the website, um, the FAQ on the website. It can be in the customer service. Um, it can be the way you portray yourself on other sites, affiliates, and so on. So this needs to be localized as well. Otherwise, um German customers won't look at you, I would say. Then it's about product. Well, like I said, it really much depends. In our case, we started with the bare minimum. We started, for example, with a French IBAN in the German market, believe it or not. And we thought it was good. We thought uh, it would work. Uh, you see other B2C banks doing that uh, with an, a Lithuanian or with an Irish uh, IBAN. And, um, and on paper, it shouldn't make a difference, but in Germany, it made, made a difference because IBAN discrimination is still a thing in, uh, in Germany. Uh, it shouldn't, but it does. And plus it's again a trust issue. So that was the first thing that we localized in the German market. And then as we grew along and we learned more and more about the German customers and their uh, preferences, we adapted and either did it through integrations, we did it through our own product development uh, and to do that. But there's even more things that you need to localize uh, along the way. So you need to be local in the way you recruit and need to be sure that you account for the local differences, not just in terms of salary, but just the way uh, you can recruit. There is the local office topic, which many international uh, startups approach differently. So some have almost like a hub approach where they say, okay, we have a local teams, but they're, they're all in the same location because it helps with cross-functional works. Or you have very strong local presence. It really depends on what you do and uh, what the, what the center of gravity is that you want for your, for your company to do. And there's also the events and ecosystem aspect of it, which we tackled very early on in, in Germany, for example, where we said, okay, we want to be present. Uh, we want to raise our awareness in the German market. Let's do events. Uh, let's connect with the local ecosystem and let's activate, um, the, the ecosystem actions. So, uh, I think that was, that was really key in, uh, getting, getting our name out there. Yeah. Participating into, into branding of, of, of kind of events across uh, across different uh, region in Germany. Um, Martin, with regard to business fonts, do you have a, a local um, approach? Um, we know that business fonts has 
three main zones, uh, UK and Ireland, Mediterranean, uh, uh, Dar, actually four zones and, and the Nordics. So how do you approach this at the local level with each of the business France um, offices? Yeah, also forgetting about our colleagues in Poland, Ukraine, Romania, uh, where we also have a presence there. So localization, we, we spoke about that over the last few minutes. Um, of course, each, each colleague in each country is going to be able to give first information of how you address also customers. You, Tobin, you talked a lot about customers. Maybe one main difference, I would say, between the Dart Zona, for example, and the UK and Ireland is you have much more to rely on facts and business cases than pure marketing or big messages as it can be the case uh, in the UK. So on the one hand side, I would say each office in Europe at Business France can help you with the localization, the best practice, what you can do, the do's and don'ts actually. But also thanks to the, the different brands and programs that we have, we share common brands according to different uh sectors like we have fintech tools across Europe, we have um, retail tech tools across Europe, we also have these acceleration programs, uh, French Tech de Iberia in Spain, the impact programs uh, in Italy, UK, Germany. And we have this common basis around program like better understand each market, help French scale-ups uh, expand their networks both through Franco-German, Franco-Italian, Franco-Spanish professionals, and also help, help them uh, set a first foot uh, business-wise in each country. We, we help them in the first steps of their prospections, prospecting campaigns. So that's that's the first thing where we, we try working with companies throughout different brands of programs. And also, uh, we have a presence um, on several fairs, tech fairs, around Europe, without mentioning, of course, uh, Bits and Bretzel, but we we have presence on IFA Berlin, we have presence on Mobile World Congress, um, and we often notice that there are some scale-ups, which, for example, at the beginning of each year, they go to Mobile World Congress, and later on in the year, they come to IFA Berlin, so they participate to several fairs and benefit from the local French presence, the French pavilion, to meet investors, VCs, uh, large accounts, not only from this specific, for example, if we take Mobile World Congress, not only Spanish players, but European players. And I've often came across uh, startups who, for example, exhibited at the IFA Berlin, and they were not here to meet uh, German actors. They were rather here to raise their awareness on a European scale or a global scale, but also to meet investors, uh, B2B clients, B2B, B2C clients from all European countries. Yeah, these, these global fairs are actually quite important um, in, in bringing visibility to, to local startups. Let's actually um, deep dive into the, the investor topic, which is also um, very important <laughs> for me. Um, you know, you start in France, you grow into three other um, different European countries, uh, you start scaling up um, and basically you get funding because, of course, at the end of the day, most startups are not profitable. So you need a little bit of capital to finance all this expansion and you become really, really big. Um, 
But then what? Um, what's the next phase of growth? You need further and further capital. And what we've been noticing in Europe is that um, we're lacking a little bit of this, what, called, what we call growth capital. So how do we actually foster more capital into these European champions? Um, and we've also noticed, and I think you know this, Torben, that um, most of the scale-ups that we see in Europe they tend to move to the U.S. to expand. Um, they tend to exit, actually, to the U.S. through an IPO. We also see a lot more um, foreign investors coming to Europe to invest into European startups, competing with our local VCs and, and local uh, growth investors. So what can, can be done? What needs to change, actually, for um, getting more capital into our European champions? Yeah, it's a super important question, I would say, because at the end of the day, if we're not uh, developing the scale-ups in Europe, then we're losing out to um, the, the US and uh, to Asia. Uh, and we're ultimately to safeguard our wealth in Europe. Um, there's definitely something that we need to do. Um, and uh, some of the problems you already mentioned, but I think I mean, the first thing when I when I think about it is how far we've come already. So it's not all bad, I would say. So <laughs> I'm a pessimist. Um, yeah, <laughs> and how, how, quick, how quickly as well? How quickly? Because I think there there was a turnaround over the last two years. Yeah, not just the last two years, but when we when we look at um, the early two thousands and when you when we compare it to now, I think um, the European startup and VC ecosystem has evolved and grown uh, really fast, actually faster than uh, the Silicon Valley, I would say. Um, I mean, you can argue whether it's because of government actions or, or despite, but uh, I think in, in general, it's it's really encouraging. And now it's just a matter of ensuring the right that we have the right conditions um, and have a conducive environment um, to, to foster these European scale-ups. Because like you're saying, some of them are exiting uh, the European market because they cannot find the funding and the financing condi conditions, let's say. So they go to New York uh, to be listed on the stock exchange. They go somewhere else or other um, international investors. They invest in the European successful companies and then the value that's created is being extracted. So there's definitely something that we need to do. And I think lots of startups and scale-ups, at least that's the case for Conto and uh, also some others that I talked to, they want to stay in Europe and they still have to consider it because uh, they are, um, yeah, this, where is the European Nasdaq equivalent, let's say. So there is, there is something to be done there on the financing conditions, I, I would say on the one thing, on the one hand, but it's not just that. I think it's, the general package needs to needs to work for big companies as well. And uh, one of the main topics, at least in Germany, and uh, it's also the same in the other European markets, is talent. So if we're not able in Europe to attract the best talent, then um, we we are losing out. And uh, so there's a lot. It's again a question of the right conditions. How can we attract the right talent? What is our what is our advantage in Europe? In May it be in France and in Germany. And I think that's where we need to think European, really, 
to to have this vision together and to work together. Uh, so this bottom line is it's not all bad, <laughs> but I think we need to we need to uh, we need work to continue on... exactly. Continue. And we, shouldn't, we shouldn't stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are initiatives that are coming up, um, which are quite large in uh, in making this happen, right? So not only on the on the financial side with uh, the creation of this uh, European Growth Fund um, of a couple of billion euros, which is financed uh, notably by France and, and, and Germany, but also on the talent side. I mean, um, I had some discussion with the German Startup Association that want to kind of um, replicate this uh, French tech visa, for example, which simplified the entire procedure to uh, recruit from outside of Europe. So there are initiatives. I think they need to be more widespread, maybe, so that it's not only one country in Europe, um, but it kind of gets standardized across Europe to, to keep this sovereignty. And as we said, Torben, to um, keep the value creation within Europe. Um, are you participating in this Scale-Up uh, Europe initiative, uh, Martin, via, via Business France? How is Business France or maybe BPE um, looking at it? So you, you just mentioned the two key topics, talents and fundings. We've already talked about, about fundings. We had this joint declaration of intents throughout, among other things, uh, Scale-Up Europe. And at the time this um, agreement was signed on the funding part, uh, well, Business France worked on its on its part for the talent acquisition part with other European trade uh, organizations. And in fact, early February, uh, Business France alongside, I think it was from 16 member states, 16 member European, 16 European member states to the, the trade agencies like Business France in other countries. I'm thinking about uh, the Austrian business agency, for example, or the Italian trade agency or business Finland, um, they endorsed the declaration of intent for the funding part, of course. And also they uh, jointly signed a declaration of intent to make Europe the, the land of tech talent and to reach this goal. So trade organizations like Business France, they agreed to pursue two objectives, uh, share their best practices about talent acquisition for European tech talents, but also to launch a European tech talent service desk by the end of 2022. And I'm pretty curious, in addition, of course, to the Scale Up Europe initiative, I'm really curious to, to see what's going to, which trends are going to be launched uh, among the, the, the European trade agencies, maybe the, the VIE program, which as far as I know, doesn't exist in other European countries so far, if it can be adapted on a European scale, for example, for young talents. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget young talents. Uh, your, last your last podcast was about country managers. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's also more experienced talents that need to be kept within Europe for European tech uh, companies. Yeah, maybe we'll see a, a kind of a European tech visa uh, mm -hmm. initiative. Yeah, you, you talked or, about it just a few yeah. minutes ago. And, exactly. Or more, more cooperation across universities um, to make university exchange uh, more value-accretive. Uh, value um, another actual uh, trend that we could uh, see to foster a European champion is M&A. We see quite a lot now um, German-French company um, cooperating together to create you know, more growth 
more scalable business. Um, do you see this as a as another way of creating European champions so that you don't have to start from scratch in the other country, but you can actually leverage another player and become bigger uh, through external growth? Definitely, definitely. You a few examples. Uh, the, mo the most recent, I think, was Malt uh, acquiring Comach mm -hmm. in March. Um, I think it's the your, your upcoming guest. You had Sending Blue with new newsletter to go for the business to business part for the M&A part, but also you you mentioned uh, Sabine, you mentioned about the fundings, but and I, I think it, it pairs with trust. So if French and German businesses or European businesses work even more together, you're going to build trust and trust is going to lead to more cooperation, more money for European businesses and hopefully more size and build hectacons. And I've also noticed that more German funds, for example, um, Digital Plus Partners, they invested in Visio Talent, HR company. And I think you have more and more funds. I'm thinking about Exchange, for example, uh, or Iris Capital, they set a foot on both markets, both in French and Germany to like detect the future European champions between France and Germany. And I guess if you go to Germany, you want also to look out for uh, innovative ideas in Austria, Switzerland, and also uh, Central Europe. So that's also another interesting trend right now. Yeah, we'll see probably more and more cross-border or, or cross-Rhine <laughs> transactions. Um, Torben, do yeah. you have like a, a next MA target in, in Germany <laughs> for <laughs> or a next partnership that will help you grow even faster? Breaking news. Um, we're uh, it's, uh, part of part of our strategy is uh, that we are focusing on ourselves first and foremost, um, but um, it can be within Europe. Uh, it can be a possibility to to look at potential targets i wouldn't wouldn't say ne never uh what i would also say is mna is a byproduct i say of the healthy competition so uh, i think the focus here is no not really on mna but to have a competitive uh, conditions uh, between the european uh, within the european market so the more we move towards a, a european um, market and not national national markets that are closed in themselves, uh, the better because the competition is better and then ultimately you're more competitive towards Asia and the US because if you look at the US, it's in itself in terms of size and so on between the states. Um, it is almost, uh, yeah, it's, it's very integrated in that sense. Uh, people forget about it, but it's so vast and historically also um, that it's actually a wonder that um, within the U.S., every per person from Texas and a person from Wisconsin, they all share, share the same um, nationality and uh, identity about it. And there's such a big uh, internal market. Uh, and the same, I think, it also needs to happen for Europe. Uh, so I would say M&A is also like it can be a healthy sign. It can sometimes be unhealthy as well. But um, yeah, it's uh, it can be interesting. But I think ultimately, to be very uh, competitive worldwide, uh, it's uh, it's not the only thing that you can do. Just buying two mediocre or joining two mediocre companies together won't make a world champion. I would say. 
you know, also that might be that might be a trap to directly jump from Germany directly to the United States or from France to the United States. That's a trap that we commonly see. Why not team up with good partners, get get strengths on the global European market, get fundings, and then go to the US, where you have experience first, more money, more user case to share, and have success. So one plus one is not always equal to three. <laughs> That can help, especially when looking at Asia and, and the US. At least at the end of the day, it's basically trying to simplify or minimize the borders that have been created across uh, the different European countries. So thanks a lot for these great insights uh, around France-German uh, cooperation and how to create a European uh, champion uh, and leveraging these two countries. Another initiative that we have at La French Tech Munich, as you know, is um, making France a guest country for uh, 2022 in Germany. And through this, the partnership with Bits and Bretzel, where we hope to see you guys um, and to join our French corner, where we will uh, hopefully provide a lot of visibility to this French-German cooperation. And uh, so that we also, uh, in our at local level, create a European champion. So for those uh, listening, um, if uh, in our audience we have any French startups looking to establish a presence uh, in Germany, come and talk to us. You can send us an email at info at lafranchetechmunich.com to find out about this partnership with, uh, with Bits and Bredel and their Founders Festival, which will take place in September this year. With that... Thanks again, Torben. Thanks again, Martin. It was uh, very insightful um, to know these best practices and how to become a scalable business across France, Germany, Spain, and Italy as well. And um, we look forward to the next podcast of La French Tech Munich. Servus, scale up. Yep. Thank you. See ya. Thank you and servus. Servus.